Hey guys, welcome to Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. My name is Luis. And I'm Scott. Welcome to today's podcast. Let's get started. All right, welcome back, you guys, to Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. My name is Luis, and I have... And I'm Scott. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, we're co-hosting uh, this podcast, and today we have a good friend of mine and a good friend of the Simple Church Collective, uh, Micah Dodson. Uh, Micah, welcome uh, to Keeping It Simple. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me on today. Excellent. So let's just start by um, having you share a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and a little bit about your passions for the kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you said, my name is Micah. I work with Thrive Church Planting and also the Christian Missionary Alliance in church planting. A big part of my passion has been um, for a couple of decades now really on disciple making and um, apprenticing people in the way of Jesus. And I would say, you know, one of the things that I, I used to think a lot about with discipleship was that it was more classroom oriented or kind of like teaching oriented. And I think my eyes were really opened when I started to explore the idea of apprenticing people or mentoring people in the way of Jesus. And that really, uh, for me, opened this passion up about making disciples that make disciples. That's awesome. We've been talking about disciples and disciple making. Yeah, I love the language of apprenticing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Scott loves that language, yeah. Yeah, I personally get it from John Mark Comer down at Bridgetown. Um, I love apprenticing. Portland in the house. Yeah, represent Oregon here. Um, which, yeah. You're in Oregon, right? <laughs> well, I'm in, in Vancouver, Washington. So okay. we are like a bedroom community to Portland. Okay. Uh, yeah. okay. So technically Washington, but yes, I could just drive as to cool. Portland. Just as cool. Hey, so so you have this talk, Micah, that you do, and it's it's around this idea of what if questions and how powerful these what if questions could be. And and I'd love to unpack that with you today a little bit and and learn a little bit about what God's putting in your heart around that. So if we could take the next couple of minutes to just uh, unpack that a bit, uh, we'd love to do that. So what is Jesus? Uh, uh, saying to you, perhaps, and, and what do you think Jesus is saying to the church um, through, you know, these what-if questions that uh, we were to ask? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been thinking about the pandemic a lot, and I've been thinking about it as kind of like a cultural reset, like a global cultural reset and a cultural microwave. And I think a lot of what has happened in this past season, in this last year, is that people have been looking at how to go back to how things have been, and we're missing the opportunity to ask this question, what if, what could be? Um, and I'm, I'm a little bit curious to see what's going to happen as the church reemerges post-COVID. I think that some of the churches that have been thinking about how do we get back to the way things were are going to find themselves decades behind what's happened in the culture. Because culture has been changing so rapidly in this global cyber age, this digital age of, of really occupying um, most of our relationships and our content and engagement in an online platform. And I, I think that that's part of the, the heartbeat behind this what, I, what ifs idea is to look back, not with a how do we get back to that, but to look back with this kind of curiosity of what could be if we understand what has been. Um, what if we understand that knowledge is not power, for example? 
What if our eyes are open to see that it's not an information problem that we have, but an imitation problem? We need more people apprenticing and modeling what it looks like to live as followers of Jesus, not just putting out the content that we're used to putting out on Sunday mornings and putting it out online or on podcasts, but rather engaging people in whatever levels we can, like whatever is possible through this. Um, you know, some of the other things are like, what, what if we face this reality that we have faced? What if we can't function as, as we function? What if it comes because of pandemic or persecution or, or whatever it might be, right? And how can the church then thrive in those seasons? Because the church historically has always flourished under persecution, under times of, of famine or disaster or disease. And I, I think that part of this helps us just kind of imagine a new future that God might have so that we're not lost in trying getting back to where we were, but can really envision where we could be. That's awesome. Mm, talking about where we could be. I love the idea. Uh, you're talking about um, you know, knowledge isn't power and imitating Jesus more than, I would say, like the culture around us. But the reality is in our world, in COVID, uh, like this last year, we're just coming up on a year of covid and uh quarantines and lockdowns and yeah. restrictions and all kinds of stuff and it varies across the country and across the world um but with it being like a full year how can the church be better like from this experience maybe how have you seen the church get better but then how can we be better moving forward and, and like yeah how can we improve yeah it's interesting i actually think that um one of the key components of what's happened during the pandemic as the church has gone um, in some ways underground a little bit more than it's been mm -hmm. um, is that we've seen churches that are willing to innovate uh, finding new pathways and actually gaining traction um, and i think that one of the ways the church can be better is by sharing those experiences with others it's kind of like, I think things, again, have changed so rapidly that we don't have a playbook on the best practices. That's so right. we kind of need an environment where we're able to have this dialogue with other people and process it in real time, what we're learning. And I think that's one of the ways I've seen the church, um, you know, innovating during this season. I've been a part of a number of different podcasts, webinars, that kind of thing, where we're just trying to take this conversation forward. What are we learning? What are we seeing? And I'll say it like this. I think the things that we're seeing, two trends, air attack and ground attack. The ground attack is that we've got to be about making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And whether that's in person or in some kind of a vehicle online, we have to find the places that people dwell and engage them in relationship and engage them in this apprenticeship in the ways of following Jesus. And that's got to start in the harvest. So not just people that are already followers of Jesus, but people that are spiritually hungry and curious for apprenticing them pre-conversion in a sense or discipling them like Jesus did. The air attack piece, I think, is, is really what can we do to understand, to have an ecclesiology that's robust enough to exist in cyberspace? Um, how can we as the church function with a robust ecclesiology that says that being online is a valid expression of church because it's where people are dwelling right now? It's the, right for now. some people, it's the only thing, the only way that they can uh, connect with others. So 
And, and really, the robust ecclesiology is not just getting content out there, but engaging people in relationships. Because when we talk about what is the church, we have to focus, like, if we're taking the church online, what are the ecclesial minimums that need to be brought into that online context? Um, and I've, I've seen churches innovating in both of those arenas, and I'm really excited to see what that's going to produce um, in the future. Mm. That's awesome, man. It sounds like, you know, some some churches are uh, are, are doing the work of innovation, um, and some people want to go back. Or I want to go back a little bit to something that you said just a few minutes ago. You talked about some churches want to go back, um, you know, to to the way that it was. And, and, and I also want to go back, but I think that a lot of churches are not going back far enough, right? We talk about, yeah. like, like, let's go back. But let's go back, back to the very beginning, right? And and then there's this idea that that, dude, let's go back, like, and, and you talk about that a little bit. I mean, and it's a reality. I mean, you have those stats, Scott. You yeah. know about how many churches, you know, you know, are due to close. Yeah, Outreach Magazine says that one out of five churches are going to close as a result of COVID, um, just the the last year of COVID. And so, as you say, like, let's take, let's go back, you know, Micah, um, pointing back to you here. What does it mean to you, that, that stat, that churches are going to close? How concerning is that? What does that mean to you? Um, does that provide new opportunity? Is that like a rebirth opportunity? Is it concerning? Like, what do you, what do you make of that stat? And then this idea of like, going back what do we go back to or what do we yeah like it's important that we go back and let's go back far enough unpack that yeah because you have this idea like hey you might unpacking that a little bit yeah totally and feel free to cut me off if i'm going in too many directions but that that idea or that statistic i think there's a lot of components to it one is we know that the church is going to prevail jesus promised it right? right so church's closing is not a bad thing um, in some ways, churches all have a life cycle, right? The That's Antioch right. church is not still here today, but we are here as followers of Jesus because of the sending and um, multiplying efforts of the Antioch church. So I think there's something powerful that can happen when churches close because gospel seeds are going to be planted in new harvest fields and they're going to emerge robust. Um, I think that one of the realities with churches closing is that it's church as we've known it. Church as business, which is unique to America in the last 150 years, is probably going to decline in a variety of ways. That's my assumption, and that's part of how I understand those statistics. Church where there's a few people that are employed or in power at the top that are making all the calls for the church has to transform, has to change, because the way in which we've been doing church will not take us into the future. And I think that the beautiful thing about churches closing as a result of this is that it's going to be kind of like the Easter expression, right? It goes into the tomb and out comes life. Mm. Out comes the church that's going to multiply, yeah. the church that, that's not going to function how it's functioned in the past. And I think one of the trends that we're going to see is fewer and fewer vocational leaders. We're going to see the empowerment of the body of Christ multiplying in new and innovative ways. So when you said that that statement of going back, maybe we're not going back far enough, going back to the 2010s or the 2000s or the 90s is not the trajectory, but going back to the simple practices of the early church, those are practices that can exist in whatever context we find ourselves in. Again, pandemic, 
disaster persecution. It was actually persecution that led to a lot of the spreading of the early church. Um, and I think that those practices, what we see in Acts chapter 2, are kind of the going back shifts that we need to make. That's awesome, man. Talk to me a little bit about what some of those practices were in the the early church. We talk about um, uh, this idea of of like shifts that need to happen, right? Um, you know, again, sticking with that same idea of of um, going back to the two thousand and tens and the two thousands and the nineteen nineties, right? Um, the other day, I was listening to a a um, webinar uh, through Exponential. Scott and I have been um, studying with them for the last year or so uh, yeah. and learning about microchurches and stuff. And there's this guy, Brian Sanders, who uh, was uh, one of the founders of the Tampa Underground. And he was sharing, you know, a lot about, <laughs> I mean, he's just like a fire hose, right? And he was just like <laughs> a bunch, like bunch of stuff. And I was writing feverishly, you know. But one of the things that really stuck out to me is he said, we're not responsible in and you know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, we're not responsible for the church that we inherited, but we are responsible for the church that we leave behind, you know? Mm. And I think in yeah. your what ifs talk, you talk about different shifts that, um, you know, we have the opportunity to make in an environment like the one that we're in. Um, what, are, what are some shifts that, that you think, you know, that we can pounce on in, in these days? Yeah. And I think this is something, you know, I've read a, a bit of Sanders' work and I've seen a couple of interviews with him as well. And I think this really dovetails with some of the things that he's getting at. I think one of the, the primary shifts is a shift in orientation. Uh, we've primarily functioned in the church in, in North America for the last hundred years around this idea of come to us. Um, it's actually kind of a, a field of dreams ecclesiology. If you build it, they will come, you know, right. and we're focused on how can we get the crowds of people uh, together and from those crowds of people that are coming to us, we, we try to help people find belonging, kind of funnel them down into maybe a small group or a classroom environment. From that belonging, maybe we'll funnel them into discipleship and leadership development. And I think the orientation actually has to flip completely opposite. And this is what we see with Jesus and the early church. Jesus spent the most amount of time, the highest intensity of time with the fewest people. And that's the orientation shift I think we need to make from come to us to go to them and to spend the greatest amount of time, not with the crowds, not with dialing in our, our services, but rather on investing life on life um, in smaller contexts like Jesus did with the disciples. The highest intensity of time was with the three. And that's one of the shifts we see in the early church. It wasn't that they didn't gather. They, they did gather. That was part of it. It was just that wasn't the main thing, right? right? It was it was going after people. That was more of the main thing. So I think that's one of the shifts that we need to make. I think there's this directional shift, this orientation shift. I think there's also a, a momentum shift from a destination to a process. Um, when you think about kind of the flow chart of, of most churches as we've known it, um, the church that's been handed to us or that we've inherited, it's kind of this flow chart of come in, Go to our, our first class, like 101, now 201, now 301, now 401, now, now you're good to go. You're a equipped Jesus follower. You're a disciple. And that's, 
What's that? I said, you're a disciple now. You're a disciple now, exactly. And that's a very destination-oriented process. Once you've graduated the certain num number of courses or um, grades of church, now you're, you're good to go. And I think what that has produced is a bunch of consumers that are sitting in our churches, lazy, bored, frustrated, and critical because church has gotten increasingly complex. And that's one of Brian Sanders' quotes that I love is that the higher the level of complexity, the higher the level of criticism. So as church has innovated and become more and more um, complex in the ways that we gather attractionally come to us sort of expressions, I think we've grown more and more critical as, as Jesus followers. And I think what we need to do is actually take the Jesus followers and put their hands back on the, the wheel of the church so that they're more in the driver's seat. So that it's not a cycle of we've completed these grades right. and we've fulfilled the destination. But the, the fruit of really being discipled is that we're now discipling other people. Mm. So it's a cycle. It's a process. It's an infinite system. Um, and I think that's one of the shifts that, that we need to really focus on. Um, there's others that I've been thinking about, but that's, that's some of them. Yeah. Mm. I love that, that picture. I mean, you said it rather bluntly <laughs> that we've got a bunch of consumers uh, in the church. We're driven by consumerism, um, at least here in America and in the West as a whole, uh, that, you know, come come to a service and and consume the service and you know that's my that's my church checked it off the box um which the definition of church isn't actually like a, a building it's it's the, it's, it's the people the, yeah. It's yeah the community of, of believers yeah, gathered ones, um, which ones. i think we need to redefine what we think of as church um but you mentioned this like consumerism and this shift in orientation that i think is crucial for us you know, I've heard it said that 10% of the people, meaning the staff, do 90% of the work. And yeah. it's this idea that, well, you're, you're paid, so this is what you do. Yeah. And it, rather than it's all of us that are doing it. And yeah, there's, you know, some logistical reasons that some people need to be paid and, and focus and coordinate and do different things. Um, but w just a, like a, a question for you is taking that 10% that that does 90% of the work. How do you think we make that shift where 90%, the other 90% are involved in, in the work? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. Because I think part of that, when I talk to pastors um, and staff in churches, they feel kind of almost embittered that they're doing all the work and other people are consuming the work. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually part of the system that we've set up, right? Right, like, yeah. Do, do we want these people to be living on, on mission? Do we want them to be missionary teachers? Do we want them to be starting new initiatives in our church? Um, and sometimes if we're honest, the way that we've corporatized church, we don't want them to do that because yeah. it's outside the box of what we're already doing. We want them to serve and be an usher on Sunday as the highest end of their discipleship efforts, you know? Mm. Um, and I think we need to be willing to release them to the passions and imaginations and dreams that God has put on their heart. And that's one of the things I love in Acts chapter two is this young men will dream dreams, right? It's this, God is going to open our eyes to the possibilities and recognize that fueling a church service is not the highest end of discipleship, right? It's making disciples in the harvest. That's what Jesus modeled for us. It's what he called us to do. 
And so I think that in, in that shift, um, there's this recognition that we have to be willing to let people put their hands on the wheels of ministry. Um, in a sense, it's like, what if we changed our job description from putting on programs to being disciple makers and leadership developers and mm -hmm. trying to empower people versus us doing the ministry? And I know many of us do that, but I think that's one of the biggest shifts. If you could just break it down to a real tangible thing, it, it would be kind of this discipleship process of I do, you watch, I do, you help. Now you do and I'll help. And that transition from I'm doing it to you're doing it, that's the big shift. We're moving from consumer to contributor and eventually getting to kind of that fourth quadrant where it's now you do and I watch. Like I'm just providing feedback and prayer and support. And I think one of the ways that we can get to that point is by asking three primary questions. What is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? And how can I help? If people are wrestling with that and listening to the voice of the Spirit, wait, I think wait, wait, God's wait, wait, wait. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. You went too quick. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the guy on the other end of this that almost missed that. And I'm going to ask you to rewind a second and say that again because that was very good. Those three yeah. questions. Sorry, Micah. Yeah. Go for it. What is God saying to you? Uh-huh. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And how can I help? Those, man, write that I, down, guys. If, if you missed that the first time, Press pause. Write that down. I'm literally writing it down as we're doing this. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah, mean to cut you not, off, but that was so good. Well, and that's not original to me. I mean, if you break down really any of the discipleship models, Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism, um, there's a bunch of different – Ralph Moore and his his work that he's done. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of guys have, have really gotten to this heartbeat of even in the 3DM Mike Breen movement towards disciple making. We've gotten to this core of what it means to be a discipleship movement. And it's asking those three questions, you know, and for us as leaders, as we're making disciples, if we're asking how can we help instead of how can you help? Um, I think that, again, is that shift to put their hands on the wheel and empower yeah. them towards the dreams that, that God's going to birth in their life. A couple of things on that. It's like. That's messy. Yeah. Like, that's going to be messy. <laughs> like, and that's part of it, I think, as a person who's now been in, you know, vocational ministry for, uh, you know, 12 years, like, handing over the ministry to new converts, there's a joy to that, right? Yeah. And, and it, there's an excitement to that. But there's almost this idea of, like, are they ready? But the real thing is, like, and then I hear the Spirit say, are we ever ready? Are you ready? Like, yeah. so there's almost like this mm. self-righteous thing that I think in my case, and I'm going to speak in the eye here, like I need to lay down and say, like, let Jesus figure this out, right? And and he knew the idea that I'm a mess and he still chose me, right? And that the disciple making process is not clean. I think I think it was Kelvin uh, Walker, another Alliance guy, or I forget who it was, but he said like Jesus calls us to become fishers of men, but we don't really want to go fishing, or if yeah. we do, we want clean fish. And fishing yeah. is slimy, it's dirty, it's stinky, it's messy, and so engaging the disciple making process is not necessarily going to be so easy and so clean and so like that's going to be 
as we make a shift, it's like we need to ask the Lord for the grace to have grace, right? That's mm-hmm. what I'm I feel like the Spirit's saying to me is like in the middle of all this. So that's I don't know, for me it's been, you know, that's something that I wrestle with. Like people still, you know, they're to use some theological words like the sanctification process, they're still pretty early on in their, you know, uh handing over their entire life to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um but we Can- uh, we're being called to to walk beside them in their mess. And now Can I pick up on that for a second? Though? Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think there's one of the one. Of, yes, you're right. It's going to be messy, um, and it's going to be messy because a few people aren't going to be in control. Um, it's going to be everyone empowered. If we really walk into this, every Jesus follower fulfilling their call as being the church, not going yeah. to church, but being the church, living on His mission. Yeah. And I think there's there's a couple of things that are really important to catch on that. Yeah, the way that we have discipled people into ministry in this past season is that we have focused on how can we take somebody out of their context in ministry to mm. a college environment, train mm. them to be like college professors, basically. So they've got all this knowledge. Then we drop them back into the church context where they have all this just-in-case training and they have to figure it out on their own. Um, and Colin Noyes in his book, um, As You Go, Make Disciples, or Make Disciples As You Go, I, I forget the exact um, name of the, the book. He talks about this idea that um, and rather than just-in-case training, we need just-in-time training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the training you need is as you're growing in ministry, and it's not in a, a foreign context or a third context. It's in the context of ministry. So part of the messiness, I think, is going to be, are we willing to train harvest workers in the harvest for the harvest? Like, are we willing to train people and empower them in a church context um, versus extract them to get the training and then redirect them back into a church context? I think that's part of the, the challenging piece is recognizing the priesthood of all believers. And I think that's part of the neo-reformation that we're about to walk into is that there's going to be um, one of the ways that we've gotten away from that theology is that we've put a few people in power at the top. Um, Back to Scott's like 10% of the people doing 90% of the work or however you look at that. And you end up with a, you know, an enabled group of people that are um, at best really loved on and cared for, but they're enabled both in the best and worst sense of that word, right? If we enable someone, they don't move to action. And so we have to step back and empower them rather than enable them. And I think if you think of the kind of categories of staffs and better churches enabled, we need to bring those two to a center category, which is empowered movement. Um, which, again, I agree, that's, that's definitely a messy venture and a beautiful mess. Yeah, that. that's what I would say, a beautiful mess. As we begin to kind of wrap up here, any any thoughts, Scott, on on some of the stuff that we've been talking about? Yeah, yeah. Before we like fully land this plane, um, the priesthood of all believers, man, that stood out. I know First uh, Peter two nine yep. um, talks about the priesthood of all believers. If you could, I don't know, quickly summarize in a short summary, why do we struggle? recognizing the priesthood of all believers yeah maybe tell us what a priesthood of all believers is yeah what maybe what does that mean and then why do we struggle with it yeah 
in your in your opinion. Interestingly, yeah. I mean, why we struggle with it, I think, is uh, we could do a whole another podcast on that. <laughs> That's um, right. I think that part of it is back to that knowledge is power. We think that um, we have to get to these higher levels of complexity um, in order to be ready. It's it's kind of like to be in ministry, you've got to go four years of college and three years mm-hmm. of graduate school. And then you get to the church context and we start you at the bottom rung of, of leadership and have you walk up. And I think I that you to youth ministry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> youth and children. Um, and I think that part of what we need to do in thinking about the priesthood of all believers is recognize that when Jesus gives us this deposit of the Holy Spirit, we actually have everything we need. Come on, come on. <laughs> and that, that's on. crazy. Like I was on this podcast with Ralph Moore and um, he was, somebody asked him the question, like when you talk about these decentralized house churches or micro churches, like what's the rate of, of heresy that you find in, in them? <laughs> and he just laughed and he said, to be honest, there's less heresy in our house churches than there are in the seminaries in America right now. And I was like, <laughs> "Let's go, <laughs> mic drop right there," you know. Let's go. And it's true. It's true, right? It's if we're asking those three simple questions again, and we're really focusing on empowering every Jesus follower to live out their God-given call and passions. I think that the church is going to be released to be the church in a way it hasn't been. And I do. I really think there's a neo-reformation that we're about on, on the heels of. I think it's about to break through where people are going to start being the church in new ways. And I think one of the key components, too, is the next generation, like Scott, your generation, people want to step into action. They believe they can make a difference, right? And we say, well, we got to hold you back for four years or seven years or whatever, and they're going to move on and make a difference some other way. Mm. And I think the church has a huge opportunity right now to trust the church of the future to the next generation. What's tomorrow's tomorrow's church going to look like? It's Mm. got to start with us thinking that the priest of all believers is kind of a central empowering emphasis. Mm. Now, there's a bunch of other nuances to the priesthood of all believers. And I think that that's, you know, the last Reformation was more about people being able to hear from God and his word in in that sense of the priesthood of all believers. I think there's a a new aspect of that, which is every Jesus follower being the church on mission, living the church. Yeah. Mm. No, thank you. I appreciate uh, you trying to tackle that. That's a a big topic. Everyone is called. Yeah, at the everyone. end of the day, like everyone is called. If you have the Holy, if like if you've you know received the free work of grace, you know of Jesus on the cross, you're called, and you have the Spirit of God inside of you. You're called, and you're called to be on mission. And I think people are starting to wake up. You know, in this yeah. season, you know that the Spirit is at work. There's some sort of like revival of sorts, reformation of sorts. Call it, you know, like there's movement, spirit, like. The Lord is doing something. And and again, I want to go back to that idea of like, we're not necessarily responsible for the church that we inherited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are responsible for the church that we leave behind. And I think that these shifts that you're talking about, moving from, you know, come to us to go to them, moving from 
only some people being at the top rung and, and serving and, and doing a lot of the work to empowering all believers uh, to do the to do the work, um, you know, to asking some of these hard questions. What are the ecclesial minimums? All of that stuff. It, yeah. We're ripe, you know, like empowering yeah. harvest workers for the harvest while they're in the harvest, not removing people from their native environments. That that's all really, really good stuff. Focusing on, you know, another word that popped up to me while you were talking is like asking yourself the question, where are you on the disciple cycle, right? Yeah. The disciple cycle. Like, are you making disciples, right? Are you being discipled? And every single follower of Jesus should be on that wheel in some ways, you know. Uh, you know, at some point somebody discipled you or, or shared the gospel message to you and then you, you uh, began to follow Jesus and there should be... in, in you know, and discipleship looks different in, in different contexts, but like, are you discipling others, right? And are you mm -hmm. continuing the work that Jesus uh, started um, as empowered by the Holy Spirit? Mike, I just yeah. want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an amazing uh, 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 few minutes that we've had with you. Um, man, can you, you share? Yeah, dude, share any parting thoughts and... Um, you know, how can we learn more about your work, you know, and a little bit about, um, you know, just where can people find you, basically? Yeah. Uh, parting thoughts, I, I do want to say, um, you know, I hope I haven't picked on the attractional church too much. I love the church in all of its forms, and I believe all kinds of church for all kinds of people. Right. Um, I feel like God's called me in this season to try and help find what will be the church that innovates into the next generation and the generations to come. And I think it is going back to the, the beginnings, going back to our origins as the early church to envision what if for the future. Um, so I, I think everyone has an opportunity to say, what if I made a disciple that made a disciple? And that's not just those of us that are in full-time ministry, that's every Jesus follower. Um, and I, I really wanna encourage you guys with that. Um, I think as, as we part, um, a couple of things about the ministry that we're a part of. Thrive Church Planting is really focused on holistically caring for those that are pioneering new work. So if you're out there and you're wanting to be about disciple making and you need a coach or you need somebody to pray for you or you need somebody to mentor you, I'd love to be a, a part of that. Um, I'd He's also good at love... it too. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> Uh, also, if you're kind of in the Northwest, uh, we've got a couple of different hubs where we're doing this in real time um, with individuals. I'd love to invite you into that. Even if you're if you're married, you want your spouse to be a part of that, love to be a part of that because we want to see disciples that are making disciples and it's starting in the home and going out in, into the masses. So, um, yeah, that's that's some of what we're up to and love to just be hearing what you're up to and learning from you along the way. So thanks guys. What's the website? What's the website for Thrive? It's thrive, thrivechurchplanting.org. It's real simple. Thrivechurchplanting.org. Thrivechurchplanting.org. Well, thank you so much, Micah, for joining us today. Um, I can say from, at least for me, um, it's been informative and uh, is, man, it's a, it's a great time. I know you're, you said you're not trying to pick on uh the attractional model of the church or the traditional Sunday model. And, you know, Sunday mornings and services definitely have a place, but like yeah. I'll say for me over this past year, I definitely have been re um, configuring what my definition of church is. And I think there might be some of our listeners out there too, wrestling with 
what does church look like? And I think COVID has been a big reason why mm-hmm. we've we've been thinking like this. Why? Why? Yeah. What does church need to change and look like? And I think we've all understood like church is not perfect. Like how right. we've been doing it is not perfect, and there has to be a change that is, that is brought, and we have to do something different. You know, personally for me, I'm in that education process. Graduating in June, hello, let's go. Pursuing more schooling because <laughs> I love education. I find it valuable, but also um, that tension of that doesn't better that doesn't necessarily make me a better priest, you know, if you will, with the priesthood of all believers. Um, yeah. And, and so, thank you for for this this interview and just helping us to wrestle through yeah. some of these concepts and these topics, and they're not easy. And, you know, listeners out there, you know, we'd love to continue. We'd love to talk with you guys and wrestle through these things with you. um, Because at the Simple Church Collective, we're pursuing something that's a little bit different than than the traditional Sunday service emphasis and model. And, Micah, you're an inspiration to that. So we thank you so much for joining us. um, Is there any last last thing that you wanted to, to say to our listeners before we go? Yeah, I think my, my last thing would be try something, do something. It's better to do something than to sit and wait for the perfect option. Um, so when it comes to disciple making and finding these new pathways, it's R&D, which means we're trying stuff. And simply trying stuff is a sign of success. So if I could just encourage you, um, you know, final exhortation, do something, try something. Do it. What's the Lord putting on your heart? God bless you, Micah. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Micah. We appreciate it. Peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Keeping It Simple, where we talk about life and mission in ways that are easy to understand. Stay tuned as we release episodes each Wednesday. We'd appreciate it if you would like, review, share, and subscribe our podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.